McDonald's presents Burger Reviews by Hamburglar. Today's review, the hotter, juicier, classic burgers. Hamburglar, the time is yours. Bravo, bravo. He said, these are McDonald's best burgers ever. And then, can I keep them? And then he just grabbed them and ran away. Brobble. Now get a Big Mac or double cheeseburger for two bucks in the app. Limited time only at participating McDonald's. Valid one time per day. Must opt into rewards. Visit McD app for details. Available at most restaurants in this area. Comparison of McDonald's classic burgers to prior burgers. Recovery Radio, where we discuss substance abuse treatment and recovery. You can listen live at blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Please note that the views and opinions of our hosts and guests are not necessarily the views of OCG, nor is it meant to replace professional advice or the advice of your physician. And now, here's our show, Roach on Recovery, with your host, Recognizing that uh, September 2015 is National Recovery Month, and and as we do every year, we have a uh, host of um, activities and a a, a big barbecue picnic, which um, Steve Kaplan will tell us more about. But uh, you know, we we make this. um, proclamation every year, you know, for a number of reasons. And one is to recognize and celebrate recovery and wellness and, and the courage and perseverance that uh, individuals um, show in in addressing uh, mental health and substance abuse issues. It's, the stories are always so, so inspiring. Um, we made this proclamation to recognize the incredible services provided by uh, our behavioral health and recovery uh, services department and uh, our partners uh, uh, that uh, work with the community, and we and we make this proclamation too to uh, you know continue to, to, to try to reduce stigma around uh, uh, mental health issues and, and substance abuse issues. We've come so far in this country uh, in these areas, and a big reason for that is because uh, uh, this, you know stigma is has has been reduced, and uh, mental health and substance abuse are are, are treated. Uh, like other, um, um, uh, you know, f- physical ailments, and 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 people are are, are willing to uh, discuss them openly and and and, and address them in productive ways. So, 
Um, I will go ahead and introduce um, the motion to mark September 215 as National, uh, National Recovery Month. Second. All in favor? Aye. Thank you, Mr. Kaplan. Thank you, board, for uh, the proclamation. I think she's left, but it's really, I just want to also recognize Shirley Lamar on behalf of Behavioral Health and Recovery Services. It's obviously, maybe obvious to everybody, it's uh, great that she was recognized on Recovery Happens the first day of the month. And um, Shirley's been a great partner. Obviously, a lot of the work that she does inside affects what happens outside and the work that she builds for people and the assistance that she provides them, transitioning them to support in the community is obviously key. So having the inside-outside game going on is, is fabulous, and Shirley's been just a tremendous partner and champion, and, and we salute her. Uh, so this is my 10th time coming before you to get this proclamation. And um, so I was thinking about it, and although we call this recovery happens, I have to say recovery just doesn't happen. Hmm. There's things that have to happen for it to happen. And um, doing recovery happens allows us to recognize what it takes to make recovery happen. Uh, and we have partners here. We have community providers. We have BHRS staff. We have family members. We have people who are in recovery. We have other stakeholders, law enforcement, et cetera. All of that makes recovery happens. And the work that goes on every day, individually and collectively, is what makes our county stand out in terms of the opportunities for recovery and the many, many tremendous stories of recovery that happen every single day in this county. The other thing I was reflecting on is recovery happens is, is, you know, we do this every September, but it is really not a singular annual event. It's an accumulative event that goes on. And when I reflect back on 10 years ago and where we're at today, the progress is tremendous. And I remember the very first time we did this in the board, and unfortunately a lot of our recovery folks and people have left probably to do some good things in the community, it was stand up and shout. And I think the reason for that was that um, there was an opportunity to make this work very visual uh, for the community and how important that has been in our work around stigma. And at the end of the day, it's reducing stigma that makes all recovery possible. And I want to thank the board, the county manager, for the tremendous support that you and your predecessor colleagues have provided. I've said to you before, when I talk to my counterparts in other counties about the support, or should I say lack of support from their county boards, um, I'm always envious of the position that we're in this county because of your support and, and those of your predecessors, and it makes it all possible. So um, I'm pleased to have three people uh, just say some brief comments to you that really represents the how recovery happens. So we have Orville Roach, who's the executive director of Our Common Ground, a really important participant in our system of care and here to represent all of our great treatment providers. It's not a microphone for someone over six feet. Um, before I start, just hold that clock. Um, I also want to say something real briefly about Shirley Lamar. When my daughter graduated high school and shortly after her 18th birthday, she got into a little bit of trouble and had to spend a couple of months in the uh, women's facility. And it changed her life. She ran into Shirley there. 
uh, five years ago. Today is her 23rd birthday. Um, and since that time, since she got out, she's been employed since that week steadily at the same location. Um, she's maintained going to college part-time. And uh, to this day, she cannot stop talking about Shirley. And in absentee, I want to thank her for making that difference. It's funny how um, you'll be surprised at the effect someone has on people you don't know. So, um, good morning to uh, members of the board, uh, Madam President, Mr. County Manager, and Mr. County Council. Today at the federal, state, and local level is the beginning of the Recovery Month celebration. Recovery is happening. You see, recovery is not static, i.e. stationary. It is dynamic. It is ever-changing and ever-evolving. It's a process, and along every change and every evolution, support is needed. That support must be visible. This, that person in need must see that there are providers, mentors, and peers available to support them in whatever way they need that support. That support must be vocal. We need continued advocacy from the consumer level up to the provider level, up to the county department level. It needs to be a constant drumbeat. Person to person, peer to peer, the mentoring of others needs to be done with responsible love and concern. All of us who play a role in facilitating this process called recovery must understand and believe how valuable our roles are, even if we don't see immediate returns. Remember, it's a process. We want to thank the county leadership and the Behavioral Health and Recovery Services Department for their commitment to the cause and ensuring to the best that we can that recovery can happen for those persons who need and want it. To the provider community, with a name like Orville, <laughs> I have no choice but to close using an airplane analogy. When pilots encounter difficulty during flight, short of something catastrophic, they must follow the first rule of flying, which is to fly the plane. In this analogy, the plane is our clients, those seeking recovery. We're in a very difficult period of change right now in the field. But despite this turbulence, we have to remember to fly the plane. We have to take care and serve our clients while we deal with these external difficulties. Recovery is happening. Thank you very much. Okay, welcome folks to Roach on Recovery. Fly the plane, he says. This guy can't get can't get enough planes in his life in every facet and every arena. There's an airplane analogy coming right at you. <laughs> this is your host Orville Roach, along with my producer and co-host Chris Morales. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number. Six four six five six four ninety nine zero nine is the number. If you want to call in to speak to us, if you want to listen to the show. Live, you can go to our show website, and that's uh, blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. Again, blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG radio. And you can also listen to the show via the call in line if that's your only means to do so. 
So just a quick story behind that. There it, it comes. It was in April <laughs> that I received an email from, you know, the group that puts all the stuff together for Recovery Happens Month. They start planning in April. And they said, listen, um, you've been nominated to speak for the providers at the proclamation meeting. And I replied back, nominated by who? All <laughs> <laughs> right. So don't worry about it. You've been chosen. I said, all right, it's April. I got a few months to think about whether or not I'll accept. So in August, they kind of nailed me down, and I said, okay. They I'll, said, that's I'll, it. I'll uh, speak for the on behalf of the provider. So that was my uh, little blurb there at the uh, Board of Supervisors meeting on September 1st. Um, speaking about recovery happens. Well done. They They put your back into a wall. And as always, when a man with the name of Orville is cornered, airplanes is his Got only it. escape. Look, I used to, you know, back in the 90s, early 2000s, speak in front of the different boards. Obviously, different people get elected. And then I kind of went underground, you know. And I always tell my colleagues, I said, you know, after you, you know, speak and you advocate, after a while, you know, they get tired of seeing you and hearing you, and someone else has got to do it. Right. And so I've been on the ground for at least 10 years. It's been a while. <laughs> and, and they managed to get me out, you know, so, but I've crawled back on the ground now. So I've, I've done my due diligence for the next five years. Good. So that was that. It was well said, I have to say. It was well said to the point, uh, and it got the job done for what it was intended to do. So well done. And I don't know if you know this. Did you hear me say quietly, hold the clock? Yes, I did. Yeah, because the, yeah. that was after you made the six foot tall microphone. Yeah, because there's the clerk is sitting right next to where you speak, and as soon as you get there, it's a two minute clock to speak, and okay. he starts the clock. So I have to say, hold the clock. Yeah. Okay. You know, let me just say this first about Shirley Lamar, um, who helped my daughter big time. Right. Um, and then once I start my speech, then you can roll the clock. Start the but, clock. This obviously wasn't audible, but the president waved him off to say, don't even start the clock. Oh, okay. So, but anyway, I had a speech that was only, what, a minute and it 30 was seconds long. So Short and sweet. Short and, short sweet. and sweet. Otherwise, you lose their attention. Exactly. So short and sweet. Um, let's do our usual thing, man. Let's, let's hit, hit it real quick. Funny, uh, funny story about that soundbite I just wanted to throw out there. So my wife has zero interest in the football season um, other than maybe the half a percent interest that it's coming around and she knows that that's what I'm about. Mm -hmm. So she has made the connection between that song and football. And as we football fans know, in the summer when the football season is upon us, you start hearing commercials with that soundtrack. Mm -hmm. And so this season, I remember it was sometime during the summer, a commercial came on with the soundtrack. She wasn't even watching the TV, but heard the soundbite in the house and said, Oh, oh my no. God. <laughs> I know what's coming. And uh, yeah, sure enough. So I get a little kick out of it when I hear that soundbite. All right. I don't want to get into the theme of throwing the wives under the bus. 
<laughs> but I will say that uh, my wife was very accommodating with you know me watching Sunday football because I think I said I moved away from watching all the other sports. Right, right. You know, like Until every every night and you know so on and so forth. But now you know there's Sunday football, Sunday night football, Monday, Monday night football, Thursday. Thursday night football. You know she's about had enough. Yeah, I'm of this, sure of this nonsense because she's still you know this is not even football. It's, it's not using their feet. You know she's uh, from yeah, England, from so England, of course, yeah. You know, Good call. Always reminding me of that. Anyone else who wants to know, <laughs> this is America and it's football. That's right. Um, so I'm just very disgusted. and Disappointed, and I don't know what else you want to say. I'm I'm happy for the Giants, uh, sad for the Cowboys, upset at my New York Jets that they couldn't come and get a big win against New England. Came close. So it's a mixed bag for me this week, and uh, lick I'll lick my wounds and uh, see what happens next week. That's all I can do. Yeah, well, I'll see your mixed bag and add a full bag of straight depression. Okay. All right. <laughs> Because I was wondering what that shipment of uh, antidepressants <laughs> coming into the Bay Area was about. Yes. Oh, yeah. Just as it started to look like maybe we're turning a corner a little bit, we were given a nice solid dose of reality by our counterpart two and four Seahawks. Uh, it's getting ugly out here in Niner country. You you listen to KMBR in the morning. There's talk about coaches being fired mid-season. There's talk about. The quarterback switch, there, I mean, there's talk about everything and anything under the sun that is just a sure sign that your football team needs to rebuild. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think what makes it harder on myself as well as other 49ers fans is you're like a season removed from three straight NFC championships. Yep. So it wasn't a gradual decline. It was... With Harbaugh at the top to he fell off the cliff, you're going to get a top five or top ten pick. Yep. So that's all I got. I'd rather not talk about any of Me it. Me too. That's all I got. <laughs> Perfect. We'll move on. All right. All right. In the news, uh, I don't know if you guys have been paying attention about the at the federal level the change the retroactive and current change they're making to the drug sentencing laws that are, as a result, resulting in some people who are in prison and have been in prison getting released, early released, um, and some people who are awaiting trial or awaiting sentencing, having their sentences amended, reduced, or what have you. The only reason I'm bringing this up is because there's a little bit of hypocrisy in the air that I don't think is getting enough play on the uh, media circles. Okay. So let me bring this hypocrisy to light. Okay. There's two sets of laws. One was called the Rockefeller Laws, which went into place in the mid-'70s. Very strict drug laws, penalties, and and sentencing, and so on and so forth. Mandatory minimums to hold nine yards. Okay. No one had a problem with it. And then in the 80s, okay, here's the controversial part, but I got to say it. In the 80s, when the crack explosion hit the big cities, New York, Chicago, Philly, St. Louis, L.A., I mean, you name it, okay, it was the Congressional Black Caucus who pleaded with Congress to strengthen and come up with even more draconian 
sentencing laws for the possession of cocaine and crack cocaine. Hmm. Okay? The irony in all that is that the people that were impacted the most by that were blacks. Sure. Okay? They were the ones dealing mostly in the middle level to street level in crack cocaine. Okay? And so those people getting caught in that arena were getting heavy sentences on the federal level. Here we are now in 2015, and it's being said that these laws are now unfair. They have unfairly uh, affected the minority community and unfairly affected black males, et cetera, et cetera. And all of that may be statistically true, that this the statistics will show that the majority of people impacted by those laws are those groups. But for the Congressional Black Caucus to act like they didn't have a hand in it, they're not the ones who pushed it. Yeah, I know it was 20-something years ago, but my memory still works. Right. If it wasn't for them, those laws would have never gone into effect in the first place. They lobbied. They pushed. They're the ones that were saying our communities are being destroyed and falling apart and being ripped apart by crack cocaine. We have to do something. Mm. Well, of course, we know that something could have been, you could have put more money into treatment. You could have done that, okay? But no, their thing was, hey, no, we got to really amp up the sentencing for the dealers and, and so on and so forth. And you know what? No one had a problem with that. Nobody had a problem with that, but all of a sudden... It's like, no, we had nothing to do with that. Right. No, that's not what the record shows. The record shows you pushed it. So you have to take responsibility for the outcome, no matter what it is, even if the outcome ended up being unfair, even if the outcome ended up being something that you didn't foresee. At least say, you know what? We were wrong. We didn't know that in pushing this, this would be the outcome that the the impact would be so widely disparative, I don't know if that's a word, that it would bring great concern and worrying about whether or not we were incarcerating way more people for tremendously long sentences than we imagined. Be honest. We screwed up. We panicked. At the time, this is why I hate when legislators make laws during the middle of a crisis or right after something happens. Yeah, the tendency is to react. Right, so it's it's reactive instead of analyzing and saying, hey, what's the best approach? Right. You know what I'm saying? So this is the outcome. And now you got to own it. Absolutely. Now, I don't have a problem with someone saying... This is the outcome, you know, and now looking at the outcome, we think that it's not what we expected, not what we really wanted. I think we need to modify, we need to change it, we need to make some amendments, et cetera. I don't think anyone would have a problem with that. You know what I'm saying? I, I don't I don't Agreed. think I don't think I don't think a person who has committed a drug dealing crime, okay, should spend the rest of their life in prison. That's to me not equal to someone who does not fit the punishment. Exactly. That's not to say someone who was dealing drugs did not have a significant impact on lives. Okay. It's 
you can only equate that really, you know, there's no study to say how you can specifically correlate it, but just as a person, you can say, well, if you're dealing drugs in your community, you're impacting lives. Nobody would disagree with that, mm-hmm. okay? And the the amount of lives you're impacting are significant, mm-hmm. okay? And someone can even go a step further and say, and you might, as a result of you dealing drugs, you may have indirectly contributed to the deaths of some people who ended up overdosing and things of that nature. Mm-hmm. I don't think no one can, can can disagree with that argument at all. Okay. Okay. But in terms of being a law and order country, okay, if I didn't directly cause that person's death by injecting them or stabbing them with the knife or shooting them with the gun or hitting them with the Louisville slugger, et cetera, okay, I shouldn't be punished that way. Not to say I shouldn't be punished for violating the law, you know, the drug laws. I should be. Yeah. But should I get life in prison? I don't think so. I'd rather save that space for a rapist, a murderer, and things, you know, things of that nature. Someone sure. who commits violent crimes against someone. And I'm not saying that drug dealing is a violent crime. I know that's a great debate. Okay. Um, I could see both sides of it. You know, some say it's not a violent crime because I'm not physically punching you in the nose. You know, I'm just passing you, you know, passing you the yeah, joint. You choose to do with it what you want. Exactly. But when you look at the impact on the com- on the community, you can make the argument. You know, it's uh, indirect violence against the community. Both arguments have their, their merit, so to speak. But damn it, the Congressional Black Caucus needs to damn own that they're the ones who pushed it. And stop acting like it was somebody else who pushed it, and it's somebody else's fault why the outcomes are the way they are. And now we want to change it and, and, and act like you want to blame somebody else. Own it. Right. For goodness sakes. Be honest about it. All right. That's all I want to say on that one. I have to agree. I have to agree with you 100%. Um, and it's not even like if they were to come forward and say, at the time, this was our best thinking because mm-hmm. of what the community dictated. Mm-hmm. We thought we had to act and act fast and harshly mm-hmm. because at that moment, we thought that was the best solution to the problem. Mm-hmm. We now see it was not, mm-hmm. and this is where we went wrong, so we're looking to correct that now. I don't think anybody could point a finger. No. Who's to say anybody else could have done better or made a better decision in that moment? I, I agree. Right, but to try and pass the buck and now come in as, the hero on the horse, so to speak. Yeah. We're going to come in and fix this, what somebody else left us. Right. Come on, man. <laughs> come on, man. We need that. We need that NFL, uh, that ESPN soundbite <laughs> right there. Um, and you heard it here first, folks. Uh, the host is pro-big tobacco. Basically the same argument being made. Explain. <laughs> the... Uh, the merit being had in the argument that I'm just handing you the pack of cigarettes, okay? I'm just supplying it for you. You do what you will. Well, <laughs> the tobacco drug dealers went before Congress and said, hey, there's nothing wrong with this. There's no harm with this uh, with this cigarette here. It doesn't cause any problems. They're the ones who went before Congress and said that publicly. 
Yeah. You know, there's no drug dealer I know of that went before congressional testimony, for Congress <laughs> right. and said, hey, there's nothing there's wrong with this yeah. crack cocaine. There's no side <laughs> effects and there's no community right. effects, family effects, job effect, everything. There's none of that. You know, if you take this, no one has said that. So big tobacco has their own, only themselves to blame. Of course. For their predicament. Um. So, anything else that we got news newsworthy? No, I think that uh, about sums it up. Other than folks, residents of California may be happy to hear if they've been following the news, and more particularly the meteorologists that work for news stations. Uh, the host's prediction looks like it's going to come to fruition. Big time. And we've got some storms upon us. Lining up. <laughs> going to be 1998 all over again. All over again. <clears throat> the Nino. Yep. All right. Um, so today's our, not today, but we're three days, three days past our one-year calendar anniversary of our very first show. It's well done. And as I wrote in our description... Our first show was actually very hastily put together because we were quietly going about like church mouse. Hold up. Hold on one second. Absolutely. Hold up in our uh, makeshift studio at the time, uh, practicing for our debut, which was scheduled for November 18th that we picked, we chose a date specifically. Right. One of the after Veterans Day, et cetera. So we were practicing since early September. Yeah, you know, late one, August. You know, once a week, once a week first... you know, practice. And trying to figure out the the, the godforsaken echo that we couldn't get rid of in our, the, in our microphones and figuring that out and the equipment issues and all that stuff. Right. Um, because we wanted to have a particular sound. And um, so we had... Gelb Music in Redwood City, California, worked with us, helped us, got us the right equipment, the right mics, the right headsets, and we started practicing with the right stuff. And we, you know, and then now just working on what they called, you know, you got to learn mic manners and you know things we never heard about. Right. You know, we just wanted to do a podcast about yeah, recovery. Let's go, let's What's get all it out stuff? there? What's all this stuff about mic manners? <laughs> right. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> um. So, yeah, we had to learn a lot, and we learned a lot in, in, in one year. So when we were that week, we were practicing on Tuesdays, knowing that we were going to be doing the show on Tuesdays. Mm-hmm. And I found out Monday evening that the Monsignor had passed that sun, you know, Sunday. Right. And I think it was I then made the staff aware on Tuesday – and then made the decision on Wednesday. I told you, we have to do a show. That's right. And then we did the show Friday. So it was there was no practice. There was no warming up in the bullpen. Nothing. <laughs> Nothing. No. Coming uh, out. No. Uh, what do you call it? Um, we had no data. You know, just <laughs> it was just right. Uh, we were just gonna wing it. Thrown into the fire. There we go. So, and in hindsight, in, in reflection, it was fitting. As I wrote again in the description, it was fitting that our first show, uh, although hastily put together, um, was in honor of a man who was about recovery, was about making substance abuse treatment available 
to as many people as possible. Right. Um, bringing it, bringing Daytop to the West Coast, bringing Daytop to Texas, bringing Daytop to Pennsylvania, bring you know, ex- expanding it as to as many corners as possible of of of, of New York as it can possibly be. Um, so I think it was fitting that that was the first show. Um, we listened back and we get some laughs because we can hear some of the mistakes. <laughs> right. Yeah, glaring, not not uh, in obvious either. Glaring mistakes. You can't do anything but laugh. Um, so, so some statistics. I pulled some stats from. Uh, first of all, that's. Even though that's not, it's one of the most listened to podcasts. It is. But it's not the number one podcast. The number one podcast is the uh, first show with uh, David Deitch. Okay, the, the first of part. the three part series. Yes, that was the um, the number. So that one has a, the most number of listens. So here are some stats we've done 44 shows. Live shows. What we're doing differently, folks, just so you know, normally when you do a podcast, it's not done live. It's just it's recorded, and then you put the podcast out there on iTunes or whatever, right. and then people then pull it up and then listen to it. Right. But it's not a, like a simulcast live and recorded podcast. So we're doing it like a simulcast. We're doing live, and then it's obviously going into podcast format. Uh, so we've done 44 shows, and we've had 3,719 listens to the podcast. That's awesome. That's that's a lot more than I think maybe we, we had, fathomed. We, we weren't even we thinking. Of, we weren't even thinking about listens. To be honest, we were just, we just wanted to talk about recovery. We weren't right. really thinking about how many listens they were going to get, and so on and so forth. We just. I mean, for me personally, one of the reasons why I thought of doing this was because I used to do twice a month a group at the adult facility. This is why we still had the adolescent facility. On Friday afternoons, the group was maybe an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, depending on what time I started. And it was called Open Mic Fridays. Okay. And I'd just get the whole family together. We would sit in a circle, and it would be any subject was you know, open mic. So whatever you want to talk about, we could talk about it. Yeah. Um, and that stopped like prior to our show. Like I hadn't done it for like almost eighteen months. Hmm. Just because things had changed, structure had changed, my time wasn't available anymore, and so on and so forth. And some people who were still around were, you know, when when are you going to do a group? When are you going to, you know, we haven't seen you do a group. Blah 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 blah. And. uh this idea just came to my head about well why don't I just do a pod you know a podcast mm-hmm. record it and I can we can make it available to the family to listen on DVD and which we've done yep um and I can get my quote unquote fix of talking about recovery so a selfish reason but a good reason but nonetheless good reason. yeah so that's why I do it. Now while you're here, I have no, I have, no, was, I have no knowledge. So why don't you tell the audience? No, what yeah, are, what, I was. What, just, are you, what are you doing in the studio? I was just going <laughs> to say or ask. I'm actually not entirely certain how that came to be. I can't really recall. I know that you had mentioned the idea to me mm-hmm. uh, over a lunch at our local neighborhood spot, 
Uh, we won't mention any names until they're willing to pay us for advertisement. Yep. No more free shout-outs here. Yep. But, oh, yeah, over a lunch, and I don't know if I was the first person you uh, mentioned old, it to. An old football lunch. An old football lunch, which the, the tables were in my favor for the past couple of years. That's turning quite drastically yeah. at this point. Um, but, yeah, I'm not sure if I was the first person work-related that you had mentioned that to. Perhaps you had mentioned it to your wife or somebody at home. Mm -hmm. But I know you brought the idea to the table that this is something that you wanted to do, that essentially in the position that you're in for the program, you get much much less of that fix you were talking about being on the floor running a group or something of that nature. And the whole reason you got into this field was not to run executive responsibilities, but to be with the clients Mm -hmm. and and to give what you have. Mm -hmm. And that this would be a great avenue with which you could do that and get the fix, quote-unquote, while still handling the responsibilities you have within the organization. Uh, And I thought it was a cool idea. Mm -hmm. I think a part of the reason it came up, too, is because program-wise, we were talking about becoming more social, Mm -hmm. uh, getting involved with social avenues and social media, Mm -hmm. an avenue that us and and really no other programs had really explored. So getting a Facebook page and potentially getting a Twitter account and potentially having some YouTube stuff. Mm -hmm. And so maybe this was kind of a part of that movement or got into your head, a part of kind of getting out there Mm -hmm. a little bit. Mm -hmm. Um, And I just thought that the idea was really, really good. Somehow the conversation led to potentially having someone to screen your calls or a co-host to make that job a little easier if we were actually going to be interactive instead of versus, like you said, just a podcast where you would record something at some point and put it up that we could actually have people call in for help and, mm. and have it be something live. Mm-hmm. And I said that I would be more than willing to help you out with that because mm. that sounded exciting. And so I think that just kind of one thing led to another. We began to practice it to see how it would look. Mm-hmm. And all of a sudden I wear six hats. I'm the engineer, the call screener, <laughs> no, the no, sound no, dropper. No, no. The... I think you got relieved of the engineer duty. I don't like that I got <laughs> I don't like that I got relieved of that title. That was one of my favorite titles. <laughs> but uh yeah, I think so I think that's that's how it came to be. And it wasn't, uh, I don't believe, just kind of um, throwing in anybody in there while anyone can answer calls and things like that. I had been working with the organization for over a decade. Mm-hmm. Um, so with the experience that I brought to the table as well, it just kind of ended up being a good fit. All right. And that that is my recollection of how it went down. And I think our first practice was in the the office at the adolescent site or the former adolescent site, that little small uh, yeah. pit stop office. Yeah, that's it. right. Um, and that's where we were first getting the echo problem. Uh-huh. Echo problem. But I think we ran a practice also in the second story of the Sheenan building yeah, as well. The school building, yeah. Uh-huh. And that's, by the way, that's our hurricane alternate site. So if we get knocked out of our <laughs> current studio and we have to move to an alternate that's location, be. that's where we'll go. Um, but... So let me put you on the spot, uh, Mr. Co-host. Do it. Um, what has been your your three favorite shows and why? Okay, well, I don't want to I don't want to cheat the question because I'm being sincere in saying that our opening trio mm-hmm. about Daytop and its history and having the special guests that we had on mm-hmm. um, those would definitely be my three favorite episodes. 
but I'll go ahead and group that into one. We'll say that that's one, the, the trilogy. And those had the highest listens, by the way. Yeah, it was. those were really powerful to me because I was able to actually learn, along with the listeners, things that I didn't even know. Mm-hmm. So even as long as I've been with the organization, having some of these guests speak to us live about the beginning and their experience with that was really eye-opening to me. It helped me learn more than... You know, I knew that Daytop opened in 1963, and it opened in New York, and the general information, Mm -hmm. but some of the the behind-the-scenes stuff and what happened and how it became what it was when I began to know it, Mm -hmm. it was all stuff that was new to me and fresh to me, so that was really, really exciting. Um, So I guess one, we we count that as one. Okay. Was it after that show we said that we were going to limit the octogenarians? (laughs) (laughs) I I don't look. I'm not. So, I'm not trying to no, put let, anything out there. No, let me let me explain that, folks. <laughs> what we realized after that show, um, with, with, to David Deitch, and we love him, but we we realized we said, okay, so if we have somebody on who is in their golden years, that we know that we're gonna there's gonna be a a time delay between when figuring out when they're finishing their thought and verbally. Yeah. And for us to get in and ask a question, and it took us a while to kind of get, get that <laughs> ironed out with our guests, um, because you know older folk, you know, it's hard to know when they're done talking. And I, I, I've had the same problem with my mother. You know, I don't know when she's she's finished, and I start talking, and she's still in the middle of what she's saying. But, yeah. But she's taking a break, you know, like a breath. You know what right. I mean? You're trying to get in there, and she's not finished. So we had the same problems, and we said. Okay, we're gonna to have to limit the uh, the the octogenarians. Yes, um, yeah, and actually, and just so we show that we're not biased, I believe the first time the maybe the first or second time the term octogenarian was thrown out was with one of our own in-house staff, oh, who yeah. uh, I believe <laughs> called maybe for a practice or or called in, and so we're a uh, equal opportunity uh-huh. octogenarian labelers, if you will. Uh. One of the shows that I thought was really, really cool was the show where, and word on the street is he may be calling in today, but uh, Horace, I believe is his name, Horace Horace, Barnes, Horace Barnes, Mm -hmm. uh, when he called in, Mm -hmm. I just thought it was a really cool dynamic to hear about his experience going through the program and your guys's relationship. Mm-hmm. Um, again, I think the common theme in some of the shows that I like is when I'm learning something new or mm-hmm. another little bit of history that I didn't know about. So to hear what his experience was like back East on top of the fact that he experienced that with you. Mm-hmm. And, um, and I believe maybe even Catherine Jackson, she had called in maybe a couple shows before, maybe during that show and hearing her experience as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of the crossover, you know, she's naming people that you worked with or you heard of and vice versa. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that that show was really, really cool for me, too, mm-hmm. to be able to listen to and, and kind of hear you guys conversing about what took place. What and, our experience was like. Right, mm-hmm. things of that nature. Um, and then only because I think it's so important to recovery and especially folks coming into recovery, the first trimester of mm-hmm. the trimester of series that we did, mm-hmm. I think was a really, really good show mm-hmm. because, you know, and I don't, I, I guess I can speak for myself and some things that happened in the field, generally speaking, 
when a lot of your experience is why you got the job in the first place Mm -hmm. and you have overcome addiction and, and you're now giving back, I think it's easy to overlook how difficult it was for you first coming in because you only perceive yourself to be in the other light now. Mm-hmm. And uh, so when people first come into the program, it's like the expectations are through the roof. Mm-hmm. This guy's been here a week, and the second uh, this one-week resident is dishonest or breaks a rule or disrespects staff, mm-hmm. uh, it's like, we oh, you don't even care about recovery. You ought to pack your stuff and go. <laughs> Um, and understanding, yeah, that first 90 days, we need to be empathetic, and it's very difficult, and um, meeting the client where they're at, and that that's the approach to treatment and how it should be, being able to put that out there and talk about that, I think, was really special for me, because I completely agree mm-hmm. with that that's how the approach should be, as much as we desire to see somebody change and want to hold them accountable to that, you got to pump your brakes and you got to allow the process to happen. Um, so I think that was a really cool show for me as well. Okay. Uh, outside of that, I don't know. Let me see. That's technically six. What about yourself, my friend? You Do you have a particular top three? I think I do. Well, let's hear it. Let's hear it. Um, I think the first show that we did with the uh, in regards to honoring the Monsignor, yeah, uh, because it was our first, um, because it was imperfect, yeah, because it wasn't planned. Um, that one is my number one favorite. Okay. Even though when we re-listen to it just for educational purposes <laughs> and, and and learning, we cringe at, right at, at the imperfections. Um, the and just for so you'll know the reason why the Daytop series doesn't have the same impact to me that it does to you is because I knew a lot of that stuff. But I do want to talk about some right. of the things I did learn after I tell you my other two shows. <clears throat> my number two show is the one we did about feelings. Okay. Um, because it's so much about what it's what we talk about to the clients about True. learning about their feelings right. and how to artic- identify them, articulate them, verbalize them, etc how important it is to their progression in recovery. And the number three show, which is I'm going to redo because it was one of the shows that got cut off by blog talk, um, (laughs) is uh, the one on forgiveness. And the reason why that's my number three and my top three is because I think it is extremely important yet underestimated on how important that aspect of the process in terms of people forgiving themselves, forgiving others, um, learning how to be forgiven, um, is so integral to moving forward. Right. And I was very disappointed in, in that the show, you know, got split the way that it did. Right. That's why I'm going to do it again. Uh, regardless, I'm going to do it again. Making it happen. Um, and so that's why those three were important to me. But I do want to say, that doesn't mean I didn't learn a couple of things, especially on the first Daytop show that we did with, with David Deitch, because there were two things that I didn't know that he spoke about. Okay. One was what caused the initial split in Daytop back okay. in 66, 67 where we thought it was a difference in treatment philosophy. That was the understanding that a lot of us were under. I know my peer 
group was under when, when we first heard about it and we were inquiring about it. That's what we thought, and that's mm-hmm. what was kind of going around. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> so we left it with that. Come to find out that it had to do with politics, N- not program politics, but real politics. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like politics, politics. Local and, government yeah, yeah, politics. Exactly. State and, politics. And one group said, that, hey, that's not the place for it here. And another group was, you know, bringing that into the program. Right. And those two groups split off. That was it. So that's what caused the split. So that was, that was what, you know, that was a learning thing for me. The other thing was um, hearing David Deitch talk about the closet fascist. Okay. And ever since he talked about that, I've been pointing them out, pointing them out, <laughs> nailing them, nailing them, nailing them. And he hit the nail on the head, talk, you know, kind of like warning us about being on the lookout for these types of staff persons and how their methods of running the therapeutic community their their wrong methods leak out mm-hmm. and uh poison the community and and most of it having to do with trying to control the therapeutic community right. rather than letting it breathe and flourish and 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 do what it's supposed to do organically okay right. you're trying to clamp down like you're a dictator or something mm-hmm. um and so hearing him talk about having you know keeping that in mind and, and that having to be on the lookout for that and that how, you know, you can really tell the closet fascist, and he wasn't really talking about it politically, but just that's just a term that he used, right? you know, I guess for a control freak, I guess, for lack of a better expression, be on the lookout for them. Exactly. You know what I mean? And ever since he said that, I, you know, I've been like, okay, there's one, there's one, there's one, <laughs> or this is how it's showing itself Sure. Yeah. in yeah, the yeah. T.C., and pointing that out. Absolutely. So those are the two things I thought that were excellent that he brought to our attention. Yeah. Um, I like the other two, Daytop. I think having Charlie Devlin on was, was, was great. That was really, really cool. Mm-hmm. Um, the first graduate and being there from the beginning almost to the you know the very end and giving his perspective I thought was fantastic um, and, and, and gold, to be honest. And and to know that he's still involved, you know, in, mm-hmm. in whatever fashion with not only the Samaritan Daytop but also Bridgepoint Health, which is kind of big in back back east back of New east. York. Um, and then having uh, Basil on in the in the third the third right. Daytop Basil right right person working out of 40th Street and you know his perspective of things that went on, but we also followed it up. So you know that was it was a daytop series one two and three you know the founding and then the, the middle period and, and then the the end, but I thought it was important that we followed it up at some point. I know it was this year that we did it with the the true Hollywood story, the, mm-hmm. the demise. Right. You know the at least from daytop California's perspective, we, right. we we didn't get we 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 weren't able to get from an insider's perspective from daytop New York. Right, and but so we had to, we made it clear. Off for hours. Yeah, we made it clear. It's from Daytop California's perspective what what caused the demise or what it looked like from our, our vantage, end, yeah. our vantage point. Uh, I thought it was important to do that because um, sure. we didn't want to tiptoe around the fact that this great organization 
you know, was brought to its knees. Well, how yeah. the hell did that happen? Right. But Charlie touched on it. And as a matter of fact, I remember when we were at our graduation and a couple of people were talking about it because I always talk about Daytop. And I always make sure, and you know, that Daytop is kept alive and, you know, things are kept on the wall and, and, and we're not burying it. Right. It's, it's going to continue to live on. But that there are things that happened that, you know, for whatever reason, some people want to talk about. I'm not going to mention any names because I don't want to. It, it's we, it's we're past that now. We've already right. done the you know said what we were going to said, but there are people who really know, you know what went down. You know what I mean, and could really enlighten some people that still have some light on the still situation. have some questions. You know exactly. You know what I mean. So information and knowledge not only is power, but it also provides healing. Of course, you know what I mean because uh, there there are people who are still. Very, you know, upset. Understandably that, so. And I think Charlie touched on it when he said that uh, one of the things that Daytop did, which is, you know, not too known, is a lot of these, they, they, they were the seeds for a lot of those programs that started. Even the, yeah, the, the I remember him talking about that. that. Ultimately, you know, even though they absorbed called it a merger, them. but absorbed them, mm-hmm. they helped start that program. Right. You know what I mean? So... It's like the uh, the child taking the parent in in their elderly age. That's you, a good, you know yeah, I mean? that's very. To live out the rest of their years, you know. Very good analogy, yeah. So, but he said, you know, we we kind of stretched ourselves thin by seeding these other all these other programs in New York, and then in the yeah, end, yeah, it's essentially planting your own competition. Yeah, is what a bo- in a business sense, yeah, is what it boils down to. Yeah. But, of course, it can't be overlooked, the mismanagement. Miss with two S's, by the way. The mismanagement that occurred. <laughs> right. Can't, well, we, can't, we can't forget that part. Of course. No, absolutely not. And so with that, if things are being run properly and managed properly, then you can plant seeds, albeit competition nonetheless. But still, if your management is in the right place, then you should always be the leader for the for the seeds that you plant. Mm-hmm. But like with any business, if things aren't being managed properly, the business is going to suffer yeah. as a result. And that sounds to be like that's what happened. And it sounds to be like probably what those people who are uh, keeping to secrecy don't want to come out and speak about. Well, I don't know. Orville wants people thrown under the bus. That's no, the, no, no, <laughs> that's no. the bottom line. No, 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 no. In New York, it's trains. Throw them under the trains. <laughs> but no, 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 no. I think it's um, important for truth to come to the light. Of course. No, absolutely. And you know, and it helps people move forward. It helps people understand, and it helps people heal. And so on and so forth. Well, and so, it also helps the the legacy or seeds that you left behind learn from that yeah. and grow to become even more prosperous. Yes. No, that's entirely accurate. But it, it's the it's the children of Daytop, and when I say children, I mean the alumni and everyone who went through, everyone who worked for Daytop, so on and so forth, that deserve to know how did this happen. Of course. 
You know what I'm saying? I think yeah. they deserve to know that. I would agree with that. So, and that's a pretty large and alumni thousands, group. Yeah. thousands of people. Yeah, because okay. I'm sure that it is just as special to other alumni as it is to me. Mm-hmm. But I always thought that one of the most powerful things you were offered as a graduate was the idea that no matter when in your life from that day forward you were to stumble upon a struggle mm-hmm. and need to replug in to get yourself back together, mm-hmm. that it was the privilege of a graduate on good standings that you could call any facility mm-hmm. worldwide mm-hmm. and the next available bet is for you. Mm-hmm. And that even if you didn't stumble upon a struggle but just wanted to visit mm-hmm. any day top world, stop in for dinner, see mm-hmm. what it's all about, talk to the staff, it was your privilege to do that. So you really felt like you had this kind of lifelong connection mm-hmm. or family, that you were always welcome. Right. And to feel that go away, in essence, mm-hmm. which is what happened when they've had to shut down or, mm-hmm. you know, whatever they were. There was a merger that an the, acquisition that took place. The brick and mortar pillars of it went, right. away, went away. Exactly. And so those who earned that through having completed and becoming an alumni, uh, I believe, just as you said, deserve an explanation. Mm-hmm. What happened to this this home, essentially the second home that I was always going to be welcome in, is no is no longer exists. What happened? Right. Maybe on a lesser scale, not as eloquent of an analogy as you came up with, but like the kid having the right to know why mom and dad separated. Mm-hmm. Something to that effect. Yep. Yep. So I agree. And you want people thrown under the train. Uh, yeah, the <laughs> the F train express, the Jamaica Queens, <laughs> all all aboard. Yes. No. Right. Yeah. Good point. It must happen, and maybe it will happen in due 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 time. Sure, it's a time and a place for everything. That's very true. But we, you know, we had this old saying in Daytop, and we still use it today. Uh oh. What doesn't come out in the wash comes out in the rinse. Comes out in the rinse. Very true. So it'll come out. Um, we're at the top of the hour. Let's take a uh, our usual commercial break. Short commercial break, if you will. No, let's take our usual commercial break. Sure. Uh, um, We'll come back on the other side uh, because the music commercial you're going to play, there's a story behind it. uh, it, The song is appropriate, but there's another attached story to it that I have to tell our audience. Okay, so we're going to switch the short commercial and the usual commercial. We're doing a little reversal at the moment. Yeah. All right, perfect. All right, we see, uh, actually, awesome, we have a bunch of callers listening in. We hope you guys are enjoying the show. Uh, We're going to take a nice break here, and we will continue on the other side.
Sounds about right. I made a critical, 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 <laughs> critical. Here he comes. Mistake. You forgot something. I forgot something. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, yes. And the unfortunate part about forgetting that something, which was our anniversary, my wife and I, our anniversary, was it that was the year that song came out. Oh, boy. Now, she, of course, every year, as my daughters have gotten older, has never let me forget. <laughs> no, nor and, should and, she. And, and and not only that, you know, of course, which is her right, the story has, be, has been embellished. You know, you can imagine it's at least 20 years. We just celebrated our 25th anniversary. Okay. Congratulations. So it's probably 20 years ago. Um. And so the story has been embellished over 20 years. You can imagine where it is now, you know. I think now it's up to he forgot five years in a row or something. Who knows? <laughs> yes, it has piled on. So, uh, but I have, there's nothing I can do. I have to take it. Cause, and whenever we hear that song, she An has... El- elbow she, to the ribs. Or, or she'll tell the girls, oh, yeah, let me tell you about what, what happened when your daddy uh, forgot our anniversary. So I have to live with it. And I knew that when when we were going to play the song that I was you know, probably going to hear it. You're going to have some splaining to do. Yep. Now, a side note on mentioning our 25th anniversary, silver anniversary, by the way. Indeed, yes. Uh, 25 years, and so we, me and her, have this inside joke amongst ourselves. Which is okay. So we got sentenced twenty five years to life. 
we've done our 25, you know, what the judge say, we've been paroled, and, you yeah, know, parole's yeah. been denied, and so you got to serve out your life term. That's it. But then she reminded me when we were talking about this mm-hmm. on that day. She said, no, actually, you were, you, you, you were uh, resentenced last year because my wife, who's from England and has maintained her English, her British citizenship, right? So she's a permanent resident here. Yeah. And we purposely keep it that way, and I keep my, you know, dual status dual in Jamaica status. because if, if everything goes to hell, we want to have a, to at least two options, <laughs> transcontinental options to go That's to. That's it, okay. Right? Um, so last year we renewed her permanent residency for another 10 years. Okay. And so she reminded me that I told the lady, you know that you've just signed me up for another 10 years. Ten years on top of the life sentence, so it's running really concurrent. Concurrently on top, right? I, <laughs> I can't serve them consecutively. I got to serve them concurrently. That's right. So yeah, life life sentence is both of us. And a life sentence is thirty. So you go, you got another five plus that ten. No, it was twenty-five to life. So if you got to twenty-five, that was you only you only get one shot to get right. paroled. And if you get denied, then you got to do life. Right. Right. So it's life. We'll take it. That's it. You got to. We'll take it. Uh, anything else you want to add, sir, to our uh, year in review? <laughs> well, the one thing we didn't touch on so much, but I don't think it it really needs to be touched on because we must have spoken on the issue at least once at the beginning of every show for like the last three months, were the technical difficulties. Uh, over the past year, and more so toward the tail end of the first year, mm-hmm. uh, with with our our host site, I needn't mention the name. Um, I think we mentioned them twice in the intro, so we don't <laughs> have to mention them again. Right, but good to know that we have now found what looks to be a permanent solution to the problem. I don't want to jinx anything, but things are going well. Uh, but that uh. It added some character to the first year. And, you know, as I was thinking about it, what is a first year on the radio unless you're having those kind of technical difficulties? It's like you said, if the first show was going to be done where we were just kind of thrown to the fire and no preparation, then that first year needs to have some bumps and uh, bumps along the way Mm -hmm. that could knock you off where you need to game plan and find another way, Mm -hmm. which we did. But uh, I think that that's worth mentioning because that added some some character to the first year for sure mm-hmm. absolutely i agree um i'm ready for some recovery support time i got some x-file questions that i have selected that i want i desperately want to get in because there's some great questions so uh take us there all right beautiful we we are going to throw out a couple of psas we are not being paid for these however this is in the field that we support and love. So we'll continue to do these for free, uh, but perhaps there will be an end coming to that. We're going to need some kickback with 3,000-plus listens. Uh, so we're going to hit you with some PSAs, and then we will get into our recovery support time. I see that looks like we do have at least one caller on hold who will be uh, hitting us with a question. So please be patient with us, and we will get to anyone on hold on the other side. The Children's Health Council in Palo Alto has been serving children, youth, and teens in San Mateo and Santa Clara counties, as well as the greater San Francisco Bay Area, for over 60 years. 
The goal of the agency is to remove barriers to learning, regardless of language, location, learning style, or ability to pay. At CHC, we specialize in ADHD, learning differences, anxiety and depression, and autism through our center, two schools, and community clinic. No matter how big or small the issue is, just call us, and we'll help you navigate your child's journey together. Visit our website at www.chconline.org or call us at area code 650-688-3625. Again, that's area code 650-688-3625. At CHC, we're here for you. And CHC, estamos aquí para usted. The Latino Commission Drug and Alcohol Treatment Services in South San Francisco was organized and incorporated in early 1991 and going on 22 years of providing services to our community. The Latino Commission, also known as TLC, would like to offer our services to those struggling with a substance use disorder. We have residential facilities for men, women, mothers and children, outpatient programs, transitional and SLE homes to assist and promote a successful recovery for individuals. We at the Latino Commission provide educational services on self-esteem, assertiveness, life management, coping skills, anger management, limits and boundaries, and other various subjects. The Latino Commission, restoring people holistically in an environment of love and understanding that represents our culture, improving quality of life. Roach on Recovery is a program of OCG Radio. It deals with many topics related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, and recovery. Our Recovery Support Time is a show segment where you can receive support from our host for any questions or issues you wish to present related to substance abuse, substance abuse treatment, or recovery. You can reach our host live by calling 646-564-9909. That's 646-564-9909. Or you can send your questions via email at any time to ocgworkca at gmail.com. That's ocgworkca at gmail.com. And our host will respond to your questions on the air. Roach on Recovery. Recovery Support Time. A time for us to help you.
think he just likes playing that X-Files clip. Uh, I absolutely love it. All right, so we're going to hit the X-Files real quick because i got a couple of good questions that I want to throw out there. Some we can go through quickly. Yellman from Redwood City wants to know, throughout doing the 12 steps, doing the 12 steps, when getting stuck, what activities would be helpful to not give up so I wouldn't give up on doing them? And I would say, Yellman, that is the purpose of why they want you to have a sponsor when you are doing 12 steps so that when you get stuck and you will get stuck, that's the role of the sponsor to help you through those periods when you are stuck. Okay? Uh, let's see. Brett, Atlanta, Georgia. I am new to treatment as an alcoholic. What can I expect to emotionally go through? Brett, you're going to go through hell. It's a nice way of putting it. Because if you've been drinking for a long time, suppressing emotions, when you stop drinking and go into any form of treatment, everything you've been suppressing is going to come to the forefront and overwhelm you. And it will seem like hell. And you've got to just ride it out. Just got to ride it out. That's you know the only thing you can do. So I, I told him it's going to feel like hell. You have no choice. It's um, well they get they they have a choice. Well <laughs> no, you have no choice if you intend to quit. Exactly. That's um, true. That's same. that's why I probably always used to say you there is no choice because the actual other choice is not really a choice. Exactly. You, it's between life and death. Yeah, sure. Mm-hmm. It's like having a physical ailment. That you go into the doctor and they tell you you need surgery to correct it. Well, surgery is going to come with recovery time uh, that you'll just have to go through. And the other choice is just don't get the surgery and live with the issue mm-hmm. forever. So so a uh, similar question from Francis, Paradise, California. As I'm getting more and more weeks of sobriety, emotions and issues are arising that are unexpected. And uh, I can't read that it's... Oh, and uncomfortable. Any suggestions? Same thing we told Brett. Yep, same thing. <laughs> got to ride it out. Got to ride it out. It. Uh, what's the cliche? It has to get worse before it can get better. Yep. All of that's going to come, rise up to the top. And then at some point, we're going to dig into them. But they got to get there. They got to come to the surface first. That's right. Uh... Technical question. Jimmy from San Jose, are babies that are born addicted to drugs affected for the rest of their lives? All right. I don't want to start any controversy. but here's my, Oh, here we go. I got to preface my comments with that. So when the crack explosion hit, and I'm just going to use New York as an example, okay? There were, my hands are up in quotes, thousands of crack babies. And the fear... And the, I'm going to call it now, propaganda, be careful, listen carefully, was back then that we were going to have, the the result of that, we were going to have all these kids who were going to be emotionally, physically, psychologically, and whatever other ways you can think of, impacted as a result of being born addicted to drugs. Mm -hmm. It hasn't panned out. 
what they thought was going to happen in terms of all those kids has not happened. Now, that has been kept hush-hush, quiet-quiet. But the reality is, and the studies are out there, folks. It's been studied in New York by every which research school and whatnot, left, right, and center. They followed these kids because they wanted to see, are these kids going to end up in special ed? Are they going to be impacted in, in their ability to learn, have learning disabilities, and all that stuff? And they thought they were going to be overwhelmed with thousands and thousands of kids coming out of the 1980s crack epidemic. Mm-hmm. It never materialized. Doesn't mean that there aren't some, but what they were expecting never materialized. But to answer Jimmy's question, yes, that's possible. Right. Some are affected for the rest of their lives. Some are lucky. I mean, I don't know what else to describe it. Uh, lucky is the perfect way you know, to describe it. But they just physically, somehow, miraculously, right. you know, withstand it fight it and, and, and grow through it and there's there's no lasting visible uh, studied impact and the only thing you can do is say thank God I don't know what else you could say right because it's a roll of the dice really. yeah so real quick real quick I know we got somebody on hold uh, Todd from Morgan Hill he has a couple of questions so we'll get do his real quick back to back accountability is everything right that's a question so why is it so difficult to hold ourselves accountable? Hmm. Well, addicts, that's not something that they do. They don't hold themselves accountable. It's the last thing they so, want to do. So in the treatment concept, in the treatment model, one of the things we do is we use others' peer pressure, positive peer pressure, to start that process of holding you accountable until you can then hold your own self accountable. And that's going to have to happen at some time. We're not going to be following you around, holding you accountable. You're going to be out on your own, living your own life, and have to learn to hold your own self accountable. Then the second question, why do people in a co-ed recovery environment like to get involved and explain, I guess he means romantically, that's got to be at least like 50% of our questions, and explain why it is not advisable. I'll let you take that one real quick. Well, if we're going to run through those two really quick back-to-back, we'll say the focus needs to be on you, you and your recovery, nobody else. Let's take a quick call. Let's go to uh, Danny from Belmont. Danny, welcome to the show. Uh, How are you doing? Good. Yeah, I have a a question in reference to, to the rehabilitation part of the program where People that are going through recovery who have actually, you know, failed the program even after completion. You know, my question: Why does that happen, and how often? When you say fail, you mean like they they go through a program, they complete the program, and then they 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 relapse. Yes. They miss something along the way. Well. <laughs> I I understand that, but I mean, how many times does it take for you to get a, get a hold of that something in order to be able to uh, uh, succeed out there? It's hard to say when you say how many times, because all we can do is let's say someone goes through a, a program and they complete and they go out and they relapse three months later. And then they come back. 
it's when they come back is where we can get the information from them as to how did this occur. We can then use that information if they're, you know, forthcoming to help correct what maybe they didn't correct or the first go-around so that they can be successful on the second go-around. So it really depends on what transpired, what happened, how honest the person is willing to be in saying what happened before we can say, okay, this might be the route you need to go in order to maybe be successful the second time around. So if they're not honest, they can return a third and a fourth time. Absolutely. I'm going to give you an analogy to keep in mind. It's no different than a person who goes to the doctor, and the doctor says, you know what, our test results have confirmed you have diabetes, and I'm going to prescribe you some pills and a new diet to keep it under control. Now, that person leaves the doctor's office. All they have to do is follow the doctor's instructions. They'll be okay. They will not feel the negative ramifications of that disease. But they decide to do something different. They don't change their diet. They don't exercise. They don't follow the doctor's instructions. And so the disease gets worse and worse and worse. What can you do? The person has to be willing to do something. And it's no different when dealing with an addict. They have to be willing to tell us, hey, what's going on? What happened when you were out there? And then we can kind of put it together on what they missed and go on. And you know what? There's people that's been, that didn't get it the first time, second time, third time, and got it on the fourth time. And the most important lesson out of that is they didn't give up. Well, you're you're saying basically though that that the more times they, they if they were to return, it, the disease is is become worse by using the analogy of diabetes because in the, the diet diabetic diabetic situation would become worse if you didn't take care of it like you should have in the first place. Well, but you're yeah, saying for, that. Go ahead. I'm sorry. Go ahead. But but you're, you but, but what I'm hearing is that they could come back a, a fourth or fifth time and they can get it and then they they can be all right. As far as the diabetic situation is, you may not be alive for the third or fourth that's, or fifth that's, time. That's true. So and uh, a person who goes out relapses comes back, goes back out relapses on so on the fourth time and and we what we know in the field is. You know, each time you relapse, it gets worse and worse. The, re- the relapse episode gets worse and worse. Okay. And so on the fourth try, usually the person is so sick and tired of where their life is at that they're ready to really do what's necessary. Yeah, okay. The first time around, they may not be ready. That's yeah. the deal when you're dealing with humans. We're not, ma- we're not making widgets here. We're dealing with human beings, and so they may not be ready, and that's the cold, hard reality. Even though they went through all the steps and they've Even, graduated and they, That's right. On. Okay. That's right. Okay. okay. But remember, it's not an accident when they relapse. It's not an accident. It's a decision that they made. And the actual physical relapse of them picking up drugs doesn't occur overnight. It's something that has been brewing for some time. Okay. okay. I, you know, I, 
I, I had been in a situation, and, I, and I'm going back in the in the, the mid '80s, around '84, mm-hmm. and I was an addict then. Mm-hmm. Uh, by about three months, and then I ended up doing a lengthy jail sentence. And during that time, I think maybe about six or seven months in, I, I had made a, a conscious decision not to 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 mess around, and I, I was serious about it. I mean, I was deadly serious. Right. And from that point on, I mean, it's been 31, 31 and a half years. I haven't, you know, messed around with anything. And, you know, it's just, to me, uh, I had set my mind to do it. And I was already, I was already you know, a, a bodybuilder guy anyway. So, you know, it's a lot of self-respect with, with that that decision and you know the temptation is always 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 going to be some sort of temptation i mean uh i was able to overcome all that and i was thinking that that was the only reason it was just hard for me to understand this this other situation and i know everybody's not like me and there's other people but 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 danny can i just say real quick in closing you hit the nail on the head though you said that at a certain point you made a conscious decision and commitment that you were yeah. done. Right. And that's the same thing. And let me, let me phrase in a question real quick. I always say to people, when you have reached a point where you are making that conscious decision and commitment, it's almost like a spiritual thing that happens within you. You know that that is no longer a part of your life anymore. You're going in a different direction. It's not even something you need to scream from the mountaintops or tell other people. You you just know within yourself. Okay. So you experienced that. You made the commitment. You made the conscious decision, and that's what others have to do. And some people, even though they may go through a program for 12 months, graduate a program, so on and so forth, but within themselves, they haven't really made that commitment. And that shows then in the resulting behavior. Right. So. Right. Okay. All right. Okay. Well, well uh, thank you. It's good. That was a good. Thank you. Bit of information there. All right. Thank you very much All for right. calling. Okay. Thank you. All right. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. Great call. Absolutely. <clears throat> Sometimes the four timers, though, they get it and they're good to go for twenty years. Yeah. Well, years. yeah. Like how many times have we said that on? One of the shows, like, he's right in that that is the risk or gamble you take if you are the patient, so to speak, that with the diabetes mm-hmm. thing or in recovery that, just as the caller stated, there may not be a fourth time yep. or a fifth time. The Any time could be your last. Yep. Any run could be your last run. Yep. And so as long as that isn't, then it's not too late. Yeah. And it could be the fourth or fifth or sixth time the miracle happens. Yep. You just have to understand going into that relapse or that run, there's no guarantee you're coming out of it. Yeah, and, and we know many people that that's been the reality. That's very true. All right, let's go to uh, Mark from Stockton. Mark, welcome to the show. Thank you. How you doing? Good. Um, I wanted to know, um, do you think that uh, working out is – or should be a part of recovery? Because I've heard that recovery is, you know, body, spirit, and mind. Yep. Exercising, getting your body, your physical health back in order. Absolutely. Okay. All right. Thank you. 
Oh, all right. You're welcome. All right, bye. Short and sweet. Short and sweet, yeah. Should I keep pushing the iron? Yeah, <laughs> absolutely. Make it happen. So, sorry, i got to tell another story. Okay, story time. Let's hear it. Before I went into treatment, I had no idea what treatment looked like, was like, etc. When I showed up to Far Rockaway, the building itself looked like what I thought a treatment center would look like, a big square-looking building, hospital-like looking building. Okay? So that kind of fit with the image I had in my mind. But when I went upstate to the residential facility, it blew me away. You know, it looked like a resort. That's the best description I can give. And then for me, just me personally, being a person that was in the sports and they're finding out that there was this huge gym and so on and so forth, and you're going to be able to play, play, play basketball. And if you like swimming, there was a pool and all that stuff. What I found out was that recovery is not just about your emotional and intellectual and even just your spiritual. It also is about your physical well-being and getting your physical body back in shape through exercise and, and what other means that you may people may choose to do that, along with the emotional, spiritual, psychological, mental, etc. And so it gave me a different view when looking, you know, stepping across the street, looking at Swan Lake, you can see all the different aspects of recovery. You see the gym representing the physical. You see the main house where the, the emotional, the intellectual, you see the little, the little cottage. Uh, um, I'm going to call it a church, but it's, we called it something else. Um, over there where the, the spiritual stuff can take place, et cetera. So, it's not. It's the the whole of you that has to be addressed, not just one aspect of you that has to be addressed. The five distinct yet overlapping modules of treatment. Yes, he's going back to old school detox. <laughs> yes, indeed. All right. Uh, let's go to Martha calling from Wine Country, Napa. Welcome uh, to hope, the show. Hopefully, you're not drinking too much of that wine out there, Martha. <laughs> <laughs> no, I don't drink anymore. So I have a question. I'm in a program with it. Either I can enter and complete or I can enter and graduate. What do you think the extra months of being in fifth phase would do to my recovery? Um, the the enter and graduate, the, you know, the, the, the parts, once you leave the, the, the core treatment part of your program, the rest is outpatient. And there are things yep. you have to do to, you know, achieve graduation status. But you're going to be out there living your life while you're doing those things. Yes. So it's it's really a personal decision on whether or not, you know, gra- being a graduate and graduating the program means something to you or not. That's really all it comes down to. Okay, yeah, because I'm really struggling with that. Do I just want to complete or do I want to graduate? Let me uh let me ask you just kind of a random question here, Martha. On a scale from 0 to 100, what do, how much stronger do you believe you would be if you decided to graduate versus not come back to graduate the program that you're in? I really don't know. I'm I my real question like I know if I complete say past completion is one group uh, one day a week. That's what I'm questioning mm-hmm. on how that's going to really help me. 
Right. So that's why I'm asking you to just venture your best guess from zero to 100. How much do you think that might help you? One out of 100, two out of 100, 90 out of 100? What do you think? I think 38 out of 100. Okay. So would you say that 38 out of 100 is worth whatever it may add to your not relapsing? Oh, definitely. I I would go as far as to say something that could help me 1% in my recovery yes. is still worth doing. So if you're thinking if you're thinking 38, 35%, whatever, even if it's not 100%, even if it's not going to make you for percentage sakes twice as strong, but it's going to add something. We can agree that it'll add something, even if it's not a huge deal, something will be gained by it. I would say that you and your recovery are probably worth adding anything and everything you can to ensure that you stay strong in your treatment. Yeah, you're right. So those one day a week would add to it. Uh, Yeah, I'd say it would add something just as much as it might add to somebody in recovery going to one meeting a week. If it adds something, then it's probably worth your investment. Your life is worth it. Definitely. Thank you. You're very welcome. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Now, I I roll the dice there on that they're not going to say zero. That is the only answer from zero to 100 where I have nowhere to go after presenting that question. But as long as they give me something, even point one out of 100, as long as they give me something, then I can make my point. Yeah, you can make the point. Mm -hmm. But the question brings up a, a larger point, which is, I mean, so for our listeners out there, the question itself signals a little bit of how someone's thinking. Right. That's very true. Okay. And so on this particular person, their thinking worries me. Okay. And so I would be very concerned that they are so, how do you want to describe it, um, like slicing you know, paper between whether or not it's important to them to just complete the program versus graduate the program, when if you are just, you know, really into your recovery and dedicated to it, you'll do whatever it is, whatever it is and whatever it takes. You won't be trying to slice and dice, you know, thin pieces of paper to, you know, to find out whether or not, you know, this is necessary, that's necessary. You'll say whatever you know, hey, whatever they say to me I should do, I should do. So the thinking process long term concerns me. Because that type of thinking influences other things that are going to influence actions and then you know how it goes from there. Yeah, I completely agree. Um to me the mentality or mindset needs to be the question that I ask is something that I'm just prepared to do. Mm-hmm. And I just have to trust in that. So if I am going to ask somebody who works at a program, who presumably is an expert on some level in what it is this program serves, or they wouldn't be an employee there, mm-hmm. if I'm going to present the question as simply as, do you believe that graduating will offer me anything compared to just completing the inpatient portion of the program? The, the the question is not being presented to debate the validity of the answer. It's a sincere attempt to gather information. Oh, 
What do you mean I'm not an expert? <laughs> exactly. If you say that it's going to help, then I'm just prepared to do that. Mm-hmm. The The topic is closed for discussion, so right. to speak. Yep. All right, let's go to uh, Bill from Hayward. Welcome to the show. Thank you. I had a question. I was wondering, uh, what is the, the uh, success rate between men and women in recovery? Oh. Oh. You've touched a sore nerve. <laughs> Did I not? Well, yeah, it's it's skewed because women are way, way, way underrepresented in treatment. So it's oh, very okay. skewed. Um if if there was equal representation, I would tell you that the statistics are probably equal okay. in terms of, you know, that there's no I, I am not aware of any gender specific study in terms of the success rate of the genders. Mm-hmm. I've not seen one in 25 years. Um, really? But just from my experience in, in seeing people complete, graduate, and move on, it's been about 50-50 when making um, you know, allocations for the number of women in relation to the number of men. Okay. Thank you. You're very welcome. All right. Thank Have you. Bye-bye. We got to brush up on our stats, man. Do our research so we can, get, you know, know the answer. No, I, I haven't seen any research on that. No, Gen- and, and, and like you said, even if there were, it would be incredibly difficult to quantify because, like you said, the amounts are so skewed of service to women, men yeah. versus women, um, and stats, <laughs> statistics are funny because they can be bent and shaped and presented. In a multitude yeah, of ways to have a, an end in mind. Yeah, to make your point or story. And a funny thing I heard, and the humor is in the joke itself, there is a statistic out there that 56% of all statistics are made up on the fly. <laughs> <laughs> so take that one. Take that one with you. All right, let me add something real quick um, in regards to the genders. Sure. This much I know. I'm going to try and not get myself in hot water with this. Easy. <laughs> when women come into treatment, op, just by nature of the treatment environment, you're not as active as you should be. And this, I notice this upstate also, so it doesn't make a difference. If you have sprawling acres or a smaller facility like we have, uh, everyone comes into treatment, they put on weight. Good weight, meaning like they were, you know, they lost weight because of the lifestyle they were living, so they gained their weight back. And, you know, bad weight. They gain more weight because they're not as, as active as they should be, or they're not watching their portions like they should be. They're eating more, they're having seconds, blah, blah, blah. But an interesting thing that I've noticed over the years, so I focus on the men more. Okay. The women, when they leave... Way more often than not, and I know way is not a quantifier, lose the weight that they gained in treatment and go and get back to whatever their natural cruising weight is, so yeah. to speak. The men do not. Hmm. So I always tell the guys when they come in, two things. Watch how much you eat and make sure you exercise. Because I know you walk in here, but you may roll out. True. Because we see that happen a lot. Very true. And the guys that go out and you know they're 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 alumni, 
haven't lost the weight, but the women have. Right. Don't ask me why. I don't know the uh, the biology of the reason or if there's any other reason to it, but it's just what I've seen. It's an observation. Just an observation. It's usually the best way statistics are formed. Observation. All right. Uh, how are we on time, sir? Oh, uh, we're pretty good. We're right. working with about about ten minutes here. Okay. Uh, let's go to. Okay, I just missed a click. Michelle from Oakland, welcome to the program. Hi. Hi. Um, so I'm new to recovery, and I just wanted to know if you had any advice um, you could help me with staying strong and focused. When you say you're new, how new? Um, I just uh, I just started my program um, about two weeks ago. Um, it's my first and time it, uh, in recovery. And how long were you an addict, so to speak? Um, well, I've been drinking since I was like 13 and I've been addicted to, um, uh, other substances for about eight months, uh, stronger ones such as like meth and stuff. Okay. So in the early days, in the early goings, and that's going to be anywhere up to at least the two month mark. Okay. You only have one job. And that job is to, no matter what happens, no matter how you feel, what you feel, what you experience, your only job is to not leave. Okay. That's it for the first two months. Because as you come, as your body adapts to not drinking and not using and so on and so forth, other things are going to start to happen. Not only are you going to start to heal physically, but... Emotions are going to come to the surface. All sorts of stuff is going to come to the surface and will feel overwhelming at times. You just have to ride that part out. That's the toughest part of the recovery process is that first, we call it the first trimester. So about 60 days, you think that I'll be more focused and I won't be so emotional? You got to give it at least 60 days to ride that out. Yes. That's okay. why I say the only thing you have to do is just don't leave. Okay. Thank you. I really well, appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you. Bye. Bye. That's the same advice that I got. It's good advice. Yeah. No matter what happens, just don't leave. And before you know it, you're there six months. Very true. And you've survived. Uh, let's see. Who do we want? Let's go to James from East Palo Alto. James, welcome to the program. Hi, how's it going? Good. Uh, um, so yeah, the last caller kind of kind of asked my question, but I was um, I was going to ask you how how do you um, how do you deal with being overworked in early recovery? And when you're not responding well to your recovery in terms of thinking that I might respond better to recovery if I wasn't so overworked. But, you know, I got responsibilities and things I got to do in my life that are just normal things. But I still don't quite feel ready to be accepting life on life's terms right away. But, I, I, I mean, it's my responsibility is what I have to do in order to keep 
pushing along in this thing? How how do I how do I find a balance? I don't know what the co-host has to say, but my answer is going to be very simple. Right now, you won't. Okay. You won't you you won't find a balance. Uh, your your recovery takes precedent over everything else because nothing else nothing else nothing else can exist in its rightful form unless you are in your rightful form. So no matter how so no matter how hard it is, overwhelming it is, this is the process you have to go through, and and a lot of people don't make it through that that hard part. Yeah, yeah, that that's what I was afraid to hear. <laughs> it's a process that I got to go through. I kind of seen that coming. Um, yeah, it's pay- just nothing like I expected it to be in early recovery. You know, I thought that there'd be a pink cloud and I'd be happy. I'm finally willing to do this recovery thing, but all of a sudden things got hard and things aren't fun anymore. James, this is going to be the, James, James? Yeah. This is going to be the hardest thing you do in your life. Yeah. Okay. And you have to, you have no choice, but you have to tough it out. All right. You have to tough it out. All right? All right. Thank you very much. You're very welcome. Recovery is not easy, especially in the, in the early goings. And it ain't even easy. It, there's times when it's not easy in the middle or on the back end. It's not easy. And, you know, if... When people come in and they have their own image in their mind of, you know, they've already written their own plan of how it's going to be. And then when they get hit with the reality, especially if you're going from using, boom, right to treatment, and and there's been no, and that's often how it is. And so you you got this period of time when you're coming down off of the drug use and and you're coming down off of uh, this vicious cycle that you've been in. Um, and a lot of things are just hitting you. I mean, your, your, your diet is off, your sleeping patterns are off, you know, you're coming off, you know, you're, you're trying to, you know, the drug, whatever impact the drugs have had, uh, if you're having withdrawals, I mean, all this stuff is hitting you at the same time. So our job as a program is to try and make that as not as uncomfortable as possible in terms of physically. Yeah, provide an environment yes. that can be supportive as possible while you're going through that vulnerable time. Yeah, but you have to go. There's a process. You have to pay the piper. There's no way. No way around around it. that. So, all right, what do we got, sir? How are we doing on time? We got about five minutes. Okay, all right. Uh, let's go to Mike from East Palo Alto. Mike, welcome to the show. Hey, how you doing there? Good. Uh, my, my question for you is, uh, I'm new at the recovery, right? Uh, this is like my first program I've ever been in in my life, and I'm 32 years old. I mean, I've identified the problem that I have, right? But the thing about that is I still keep falling back into the negative behavior. I still keep relapsing on the same issues that I'm working on that I've already identified with. Like, can you give me some advice on how to go about, you know, 
change, like you know, uh, changing my behavior or the way that I think of these things. So, with what you're talking about, Mike, it starts first with your thought process. Mm-hmm. Okay. Well, Just because you, go ahead, you talk. All right, like I understand my thought process and like my uh, my coping skills, the tools that I have for coping is like, I mean, I hear all the advice that my counselor and our groups have, but it's like you know those are self-explanatory tools that I've never I've never used. So it's it's I, I don't know maybe I need some different tools for coping. No. When you say you never use them, what's the reason you don't use them? I mean, because I feel like they're just self-explanatory. I just feel like those are things that I mean, I, I mean, I don't no, when, use them. When you like, say, Mike, when you say they're self-explanatory, what that means to us is that you perfectly understand them. You understand what the tools are. What I'm asking you is, how come you don't apply them? I mean, because I, I don't. I, I mean, that's what I'm trying to figure out and ask Mike. That's, that's well, that's basically the question that I have for you. Because I mean. I don't know. I, I guess I have a low self image of myself, and I, I don't. I'm I'm, try, I'm really here in treatment, trying to figure that out right now. Okay. So this is how I'm going to help you to start the process of figuring that out. Okay. And you okay. and you and you started it a little bit when you said, you know what? Maybe I have a low self image of myself. Well, it's not maybe. You have to be able to dig deep down. And to speak to how you truly feel about yourself, no matter how dark it may be or how bad it may sound, you have to speak it. Because that's what your reality is. That's how you feel. And that's where we start from. Because people can tell you all day long, do A, B, C, and D, and and you'll just choose not to do that, and we have to get to the why. How come Mike doesn't... Follow that instruction. Follow that suggestion. Do this. Why is he choosing to do something different? We have to get to the bottom of that. And that starts with Mike looking in the mirror and admitting to himself, this is who I am. This is how I feel about myself. I I just have one more question for you. Is that right? Sure. Yes, quickly. Now, I'm I'm, I'm having like relationship problems within... But while I'm going to recovery, do you think it's best that I just cut 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 it off, or put you mean it on relationship hold? with relationship problems with somebody outside of the program? Yes. Okay. Is is this a long term serious relationship, or 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 something that you're invested in, or not? No, actually, we've only been knowing each other for a little less than a year. But I is mean, it our feelings. Here's my simple question, yes or no. Is it important to you? Yes. If it's but important it, it, to you, go ahead. It, it, it also It's also hindering me in my program as well, though. Okay, I, and, the, and the answer is because there's no one more important than you. So if it's hindering you, you got to put it on ice. All right. And if the other person can't understand that, then it was not meant to be. Thank you. Okay? I appreciate it. You're very welcome. Thank you very much, man. Okay. All right, bye. Bye Bye-bye.
Now, that's hard as a counselor when you get someone who's in that state and in that frame of mind trying to, you know, trying to flip them to get a starting point to start going up. You know what I mean? But they got to hit the bottom first and, 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 you know, hear themselves speak what their real truth is. Right. And not try and avoid it, which is what he's trying to do. Right. I don't want to say what I really am. So I'll just continue doing what I want to do. Yeah, yeah, essentially. And having the same result. And, one, and then I'll ask you, why? why? Why is that happening to me? We try and advise and suggest. <laughs> Appropriately. We're, we're like the Senate, advise and consent. That's it, <laughs> exactly. Uh, any more time? Do we have time for... Uh, no, uh, my friend, uh, oh. we, we're actually behind it. You need to sign off. Okay. I need to sign off. Go Mets. That's, that's all I could say. And you know, go Mets. There it is. <laughs> New York Mets, I should say. <laughs> there it is. Yeah. Uh, well, I personally, on behalf of the host and myself, would like to thank everybody who has been with us throughout this year. It's been of a bit of a roller coaster, but the bottom line is it was definitely special, and we hope there are many more years to come that are just as special, if not more so. Uh, We wish everybody a happy rest of the week and a fun and safe weekend. We will see you all at the same time next Tuesday.
That's our show for this evening. Thank you for listening. Be sure to listen to our next broadcast Tuesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on blogtalkradio.com forward slash OCG Radio. Like us, friend us, and follow us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash OCGWorkCA and on Twitter at OCGWorkCA. You can listen to podcasts of all our shows on iTunes under Roach on Recovery or on our Blog Talk Radio homepage. This has been a presentation of OCG Recovery Radio. With the Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.